It is always a pleasure to go to God through his word because we do believe that God meets us every time we open the Bible, every time we gather together as a church and we hear it read or prayed or preached. And so if you're here today and you have felt maybe separated, maybe you felt the weight of sin or shame in your life, my prayer for you today is that the Holy Spirit would kindle in your heart a faith in Jesus who moves mountains. And so let us go to God in prayer before we turn to his word, asking that his spirit would do just that for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word and the way that you have promised to speak to us today through it. God, today, send your spirit to open our hearts and our minds to all that you have for us. Challenge us, correct us, and then point us to Jesus, who is our only hope in the world. Speak your truth into our living. And we all said joyfully together, Amen. Well, I sat there, I sat there in shock. So I was living in Arizona at the time when I got a phone call that I needed to go to Dallas. I had heard of his failing health in the months prior to this, but when I entered that hospital room for the first time, I was confronted with the image of a man that had always been so strong. Yet in this moment, he looked so weak. I can remember the beep, beep, beep of the hospital machinery. I can remember the murmur and talking of the doctors and nurses in the hallway. It is all still sort of a blur to me. But we have done everything in our power. We had tried every treatment. We had exhausted every option. And yet, here we were. I can remember a kind doctor took my family aside, and she had the unenviable task of telling us that it was time to start making plans for my father to go home where hospice would make him as comfortable as possible. It was in this moment of hopelessness that I returned to the room. See, I had to leave for the airport in just a couple of hours, and I asked myself, what would I do with these final moments with my dad's life? I wanted to make the best of them. So we sat there. We, uh, we talked as much as he was able and then he mustered up all the strength that he had. And I helped him sit up. And then he wrapped his arms around me. And friends, we did the only thing we needed to do in that moment. We went to Jesus in prayer. Friends, we clung to Christ in that moment of crisis. Well, today we're, we're going to look at the story of a woman who, not unlike my dad, 
was in a hopeless situation of her own. This woman who had exhausted literally all of her resources, a woman who had tried every treatment possible, a woman who was desperate, she had run out of options, and she had heard. She had heard in that hopeless moment of this new preacher and teacher, this prophetic teacher, not just one who spoke, but one who made miracles happen. And so she came to Jesus, and her truth today is our truth. We're going to discover today that only faith in Christ conveys the cure we so desperately need. Only faith in Christ conveys the cure we so desperately need. So I want to give a little bit of backstory as to what's been happening in the text before we dive into it today. And for those of y'all who have been joining us over the last few weeks, we've, we've been going through some of the stories in the Gospel of Mark. Some of this may seem familiar to you, but if you're just joining us for the first time today, first off, welcome. We're so glad you decided to join us, and uh, it's my privilege to be able to bring the word to you today. You see, Jesus had begun drawing huge crowds to himself. People were enamored with his teaching because it was different. He wasn't just reporting facts, but he was speaking with, with an authority they had never seen before, never heard of. But it didn't stop there. He, he had also healed a few people of various ailments. It seemed that for the people in that day as they encountered Jesus, maybe all the things that were broken and hurting and undone in the world were starting to be made whole and made new, starting to be made right. So just then Jesus has he's been teaching. He sets off on a boat with his disciples across the Sea of Galilee when, and you may remember the story, a violent storm just blows, windstorm blows across the water, and it nearly capsizes their tiny vessel. But just then, just then, with, with the mere utterance of a couple words, the storm was silenced in an instant. Power. On the other side of the lake, he encounters a demon-possessed man. This is a man that no one could subdue. He, he was strong and he was violent. It says he was, he was possessed by a legion of demons. And you guessed it when he encountered Jesus by the mere speaking of words. Those demons were forced to flee. And this man who was filled with chaos and anger and rage was suddenly calm and sitting there. He got his life back. After this, Jesus got back in the boat and headed back to where he had come from, back to the crowds that were amassing him on that shoreline in the predominantly Jewish region, back to where people were eagerly awaiting his return. And this is where we pick it up in chapter 5, starting at verse 22. It says this, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Chirus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, so please come, 
your hand on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. The first thing we see here is that when Jesus is confronted with human suffering and human plight, does he ignore it? No. He drops everything and he goes with Jairus. He knows what's awaiting him and his compassion leads him to help. So Jesus is on his way to help Jairus and then we get this interruption, a story in the middle of the story and you can almost feel the tension for Jairus, right? Like he's got Jesus, his daughter's dying, she's on the verge of death, and he is excited that Jesus might be able to come and do something about it, and then something happens. A crowd has surrounded Jesus. It's almost as if there's a tension in the air, and if you were reading this story for the first time, you might even find yourself asking, will this delay mean the demise of this little girl? But what happens in this interruption in the middle reveals something powerful about the entire two stories, about faith in Jesus itself. It reveals something wonderful for all of us who would put our trust in him. It continues, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she only grew worse. The story of Jesus' encounter with this woman, it is mentioned in the other Gospels. But Mark, Mark goes through great lengths to show us in an incredible way, just how desperate her situation is. Through a rapid volley of descriptors, we discover that she has suffered for 12 long years. And during those 12 long years, she has endured the agony at many treatments of many doctors. She was likely a woman of means, but now trying to get herself out of this situation, she has expended and spent all of her resources. So she is now destitute. And despite doing everything that she could, despite giving everything that she had, her situation only got worse. She's desperate. She's hopeless and 100% at the end of her rope. Just when you thought her physical suffering was all that she was dealing with, to the writers that Mark would have written to, to the Jewish audience of that day, there is a whole other level of suffering that she was going through. A person who suffered from this sort of ailment would be declared unclean. And during the duration of that uncleanness, she would be separated from all other people. If anyone came into contact with her, they would be considered unclean. Not only that, she was cut off from the worshiping body of believers. She was unable to attend the synagogue, unable to attend the temple. So you're meant to see that this woman has suffered physically, but far greater than that emotionally, right? Spiritually, as she has been cut off from friends and relationships. So it's likely 
she feels so much humiliation. She feels complete disconnection from family, friends, and maybe even God. She's stuck. She's desperate. But just then, and we're meant to feel this, in the moment of hopelessness, in the moment where all hope seemed lost, she heard about this teacher. She heard about Jesus. Jesus who heals people. Jesus whose power can do incredible things. Jesus who teaches with authority. And with all the hope and trust she can muster, and it is not much, she hatches a plan. It says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body something she hadn't felt for 12 years. She was freed, freed from her suffering. So the first thing to note in this passage is that this woman's desperation drives her to Jesus. Her desperation drives her to Jesus. Her life, her situation has shown her that there is literally nothing else that can be done. No one else she can turn to. She has exhausted every other possibility. He is the only answer to her problem. So she sneaks up behind him in the crowd. She's probably hoping that no one there would recognize her, hoping she wouldn't have to face more shame and more ridicule. And she reaches out as she gets close, and she reaches out and grabs the tassel of his cloak. I know what she was hoping, but this had to have been far greater. In an instant, Everything changed for her. Twelve years of pain, twelve years of suffering, twelve years of ridicule and shame, all gone in an instant. Now, we've got a little work to do here. For many of us, this, this story reeks of superstition, right? Like, like, it may be that she's got a little bit of that even in her mind. Her faith certainly isn't developed. It's not perfect in any way. So what we need to see here is that it's not his cloak that healed her, right? Like if somehow you were able to find that cloak today, you'd have some magical power. This story isn't really about Jesus' cloak, but instead about Jesus and his power to save. And it's about this woman's faith in what only he can offer. I want you to see it this way. Her faith is what connected her to Jesus in a powerful way. It was through her faith, not the grasp of her hand, that Jesus moved to convey salvation and restoration to her in her most desperate time of need. Faith is something that holds on to Jesus in the hopelessness, trusts in Jesus when it makes absolutely no sense. This is the type of faith we're looking at in this story. It continues. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. 
So he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, the people are crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. First thing I want to look at here is why is this woman so afraid? Why is she afraid? It's possible that she fears that now she has made Jesus unclean by touching him. Or that maybe she fears retribution or reaction from the people that know she's not supposed to be there. The truth is she's still living in shame. But this interaction between Jesus and the woman reveals some reality-shattering truths. Not just for her, but for all of us. I don't know who needs to hear this today. But if you found yourself in a place where you have felt ostracized, felt separated from family, friends, from, from God himself, hear this truth. Jesus never turns away from someone for fear of getting dirty. Jesus never turns away from someone for fear of getting dirty. You can never be too unclean for Jesus to enter the hopelessness of your situation with you and bring you out of it. Instead, he meets you in your uncleanness. He heals you and he purifies you. Indeed, he came to take your brokenness on himself. And why does Jesus call this woman out? That's the other thing, right? Like, he could have just let her sort of fade into the background. It's not where he wanted to stop. I'm sure he knows who touched him. I mean, it could have just, could have just let the miracle happen and her quietly fade away. I believe here that Jesus doesn't simply want to dole out an impersonal act of healing. Let her go back to her life. He wants an encounter. Jesus wants to establish a personal relationship with a person and elicit a confession of faith. And look at the words that Jesus uses to address this woman. He calls her daughter. This woman was likely excluded from her family, but now she's compassionately and lovingly called a term of endearment from God most high in Jesus Christ. We're meant to see that the one who silences the storms in acts of power, the one who drives out demons, lovingly comes to this woman, comes to you and to I, and calls you his son, his daughter. Then he says, your faith has healed you. 
And that word for healed also means saved. So in a very real way, he's saying your faith has saved you. Go in peace, a peace that transcends circumstance and be freed from your pain and suffering. Go into my eternal restoration. Trust in me always and you will have something that can never be taken away from you. So now that we've looked at that text, I want to ask us a question and it's meant to challenge all of us today, myself included. Why? Why do we often wait for the hopeless situation to cling to Christ? I think our wealth, our jobs, our relationships all give us this false illusion that we've got all this under control all on our own. Things really aren't that bad. But the reality is, we're all in a hopeless situation and nothing will solve the problem. The joys we experience, the blessings we receive, the up moments of life merely mask the reality of a world on a collision course with death and destruction, and it's all because of the greatest sickness and greatest ailment that has ever existed. And it's one that plagues each and every single one of us. It is called sin. Friends, the reality is Each one of us is just one diagnosis away from coming face to face with the consequences of sin, for the wages of sin, the scriptures tell us, is pain, sickness, shame, exclusion. The wages of sin is death. But it doesn't stop there. The gift of God is eternal, restored peace, eternal life, with Jesus forever. I think if we drop this pretense that we can do it on our own, if we acknowledge our sin, if we reach out and cling to Christ in faith, we will find something truly remarkable, that our lives are truly changed for eternity. We're going to experience a peace and a healing that goes much, much deeper than any physical ailment You'll be given a new purpose and a new joy in life. Sure, you're going to face struggles and trials, but in it, you know that Jesus has got a hold of you and he will never let you go. There are likely others of us here today, like the woman in the story who may have been suffering for a long time. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're here today and you're hanging on by a thread. Maybe you feel like you've exhausted every single resource. Maybe you've come to the end of your rope. You felt excluded. You felt shame. This, my friends, is a place where Jesus meets you today. Cling to him. Hear his voice as he calls you a son or a daughter. Trust in Jesus. Hear the voice of the Holy Spirit as he calls you to faith and receive the forgiveness of sin that you so desperately need. Receive the healing of your sin sickness and the salvation that comes to you because of Jesus. And see, we're told in the Bible that a person cannot even say that Jesus is Lord without the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So my prayer for each of us today is that the Holy Spirit would spur us on towards faith, grow our faith, There are many of us in here, all of us, could use the Holy Spirit who does that work in our hearts and lives to call us to trust in Jesus, that he would nurture it. I want to get real practical before we close out for a second. This story subtly begs the question, 
does Jesus still heal today? What do you think? All we have to do is read the New Testament, and we begin to see that God works healing countless times in and through his people, his church. God still physically heals today. I've heard stories, seen people with debilitating ailments cured, just like he did in the gospel. Jesus still heals people physically, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. And here's the truth. Every person that God healed in Scripture, what happened to them all? They all eventually died. This woman, she's not still around, and though she's experienced relief in that moment, I'm sure as she aged, there were other ailments that came into her life. And what about Lazarus? Some of you may have heard that story. Lazarus didn't just die once, he died twice. This isn't saying we shouldn't pray for healing. We should come to our Father, the God of miracles, and pray for healing today. But as we do, we trust in the healing that has already occurred as Jesus forgave our sins through faith in him. We don't know why he physically heals some and allows others to suffer. We don't seek to answer for God. We simply trust in what he has promised us, that eternal healing is yours in the end. Instead of treating the symptoms, Jesus offers the cure. Friends, that cure is himself. As he hung on the cross, as he died the death we deserve, taking all of our sins, all of our sickness, all of our ailments and separation upon himself. And then he rose from the grave, offering us this most amazing promise that what happened to him because of faith in him is ours as well. Regardless of what happens to our bodies in this life, our bodies will be raised with Jesus on the last day, glorified, perfected, healed, every debilitating disease gone, the shame and the suffering gone, the storms of this life silenced, evil abolished, devil conquered. The rule and reign that broke into time and space some 2,000 years ago in Jesus Christ was merely a foretaste of the glorious feast that is yet awaiting all of us who believe in Jesus. Friends, we are never a people without hope because of that. Amen? Amen. God does promise to restore our bodies and this world. We are a people living in view of that promise that God has given us. And on that last day, Jesus will resurrect our bodies. He will give us new bodies, perfect bodies, free from the decay, the pain, and corruption of sin. His word promises to this. And when his word says it, we can take it to the bank. Until then, we cling to Christ because we know how the story ends. God may provide temporal healing now, but we know that God will certainly provide eternal healing to those who receive it in faith. Because the truth is, in Jesus, no situation is truly hopeless. You've been given an eternal hope. We've been given the Spirit who calls us to faith in Jesus, beckons us to believe, to drop our fear, and as the passage said earlier, simply believe. I opened with a story about my dad, and I'd like to show you how that story ended and yet another story began. At 3 p.m. in the afternoon, on May the 2nd, 
Jesus healed my dad. As my granddad stood by my father's side, my father breathed his last breath here on this earth. But was that the end of the story? Jesus opened his arms. He wrapped his loving arms around my father. And the touch of Jesus healed him of any sickness forever. And he welcomed his son home. The same promise is true for all of us who have received God's gift of faith in Christ. The same is true for all of us who are baptized into his family. He looks at each of us, and just as he welcomed my dad as his son into his eternal home, he calls each and every single one of us, his sons and daughters. Our grip on him pales in comparison to his grip on us. Friends, no matter what life throws at you, Jesus will never let you go. Amen? Amen.